0: the fifth episode of an old season of amazing race recaps from reality tv warriors my name is michael harmstone and joining me as always is the canadian who gets through most podcasts by pretending there's a dozen glazed donuts at the end logan saunders good
1: afternoon
0: and the lady who has the potential to go from happy and excited to bitter and jaded in the space of 24 hours michelle piz denovan
2: listen 24 hours oh my god
0: i know it's been generous with you (laughs) and this is a particularly interesting episode Yes, definitely.
1: It's probably one of the most famous episodes in Amazing Race history.
0: I would definitely say so. Top five. I think if you ask someone to name one episode from Amazing Race 3, this would be the one that gets named.
1: Yeah. And if, if somebody doesn't name this episode as one of the most memorable ones ever, that's how you can tell somebody just started watching Amazing Race in the past. 10 years or so, and definitely not from the beginning.
0: Yeah, this is the episode I would say that there's Terry and Ian's edit from God, these horrible old people, they're awful, to holy shit, they're very resourceful.
1: They earn their keep.
0: Yeah, (laughs) they go from the token old team to oh my god, how cool is Ian? (laughs) Yes. In the space of one episode.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't even say it's in the space of one episode, I think it's in the space of about 15 minutes, considering how Tara and Ian start this leg. Hmm.
0: So previously, nine teams flew from Scotland to Portugal, everyone caught up on a train to Lisbon for the first time all season, meaning the roadblock determined the elimination. But Heather and Eve ignored the instruction to walk to the pit stop, and got themselves eliminated from the race. And I did mean to mention this in the premiere when we were talking about the uh, the intro shots in this season, but I am a huge fan of Dennis's head not moving at all when Andrew is doing a backflip. <laughs> it makes me laugh every single episode, and we've <laughs> seen five of them so far. <laughs> it's something definitely to watch out for because his face and his head do not move for the entirety of their intro.
1: <laughs> I never noticed that.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch. It is definitely something to watch out for when, uh, when you do watch the next episode, because... Oh my god, it is so funny when you spot it. The fact that he just doesn't move his head. And it, he's so thoroughly nonplussed by Andrew during a backflip next to him. He just doesn't move his head or even pay attention to Andrew in it. It's very funny. Hmm. We talk a lot about iconic head turns on this podcast, but Dennis and Andrew don't even have a turn. They don't have a head movement, never mind a turn. <laughs> and we also have Phil in his intro being obsessed with Terry and Ian being at the back of the pack for the race.
1: Yeah, he says it again. Yeah, and he says, oh, because everybody was equalized going into the final task of the leg, pretty much every alliance had to disband temporarily. And then they had the, you must walk, you must walk, you must walk. You must walk into the pit stop montage. Huh. It was psychotic because nobody was around us. And what's funny is that we're still at a time where they have that big banner that shows, that prints the name of the... You know, that pull or post or I don't even know what it's called. They always have it next to the pit stop mat and it shows, it tells you the name of the country they're in. And oh, this yeah. is one of the rare episodes where it's very clearly labeled that they're going to Morocco. So they spoil the next destination within their own previously on segment.
0: Hmm. Yeah, in the, in the next time bit from last episode, they don't say anything about anywhere other than Portugal. They talk so much about Flo having a meltdown on the, uh, on the cliff, and then nothing else for the rest of the episode. It's literally just Flo having a meltdown, the cars break, and that is it.
1: Yeah, and here it's like, oh yeah, by the way, today we're going to Morocco. <laughs> and yeah, Phil says, oh, will Aaron and Ian be able to get out of last place? And will Terry and Ian, who have just taken, overtaken some of the teams, will they be able to stay in that position, or will they fall back to the, to the end of the pack again? And it's funny because Terry and Ian don't end up anywhere near the back of the pack this leg, so it's just funny that they get singled out by Phil once more. So you can tell that Phil and the editor's just, even though it's only season three and we've done 32 of these by this point, that's funny, even in season three, they're like, oh man, we finally have an older couple that is competitive.
0: We finally have a competent old couple who aren't just going to drop out in the first six teams. Yeah, And Phil also specifically does not say that Ken and Gerard arrived first in the last leg when he's introducing them.
1: Yeah, he says, they just arrived at 2.29am after all that the angry parents called us for making their kids stay up to kick soccer balls at the teams until way too late during the night, and we'll mm-hmm. depart at 2.29pm.
0: So, Ken and Drow do depart at 2.29 pm. Then Flo and Zach at 2.31. Derek and Drew at 2.32. Andre and Damon at 2.33. Terry and Ian at 2.34. John Vito and Jill at 2.36. Michael and Kathy at 2.40. And Aaron and Ariane at 2.54. And from the fact we know Aaron and Ariane checked in at 2.54, we can pretty much guess what Heather and Eve's start time would have been as well, which is 2.23. I thought they
1: got a time advantage of seven minutes.
0: (laughs) They got a time advantage of seven minutes, but. He said that everyone checked in within thirty one minutes of each other last episode.
1: Yeah. That's what I mean. Like we're off by one minute there. Huh.
0: And I also love the fact that Team Nine One One has finally been added to Andre and Damon's lower third.
2: Oh, I hadn't noticed.
0: This is the first time all season that when Andre and Damon are doing a confessional, it doesn't just say policeman and firemen, it says Team Nine One One slash Policeman and Fireman.
1: Hmm. I don't I don't know they made that change either. Good observation, Michael.
0: It's something I actually was paying attention to, for once.
1: I wonder if we can turn along the bottom, it'll be replaced with donut Enthusiast along the bottom.
0: Yeah. I would do that if I was editing a season like this. I would just constantly change people's lower thirds in a Debbie Wanner style.
2: Yeah, I was thinking Debbie.
0: So teams must now find the westernmost point of continental Europe, which we are told is Cabo de Roca. They are told nothing else, including that the westernmost point of continental Europe is in Portugal, and only 22 miles away from the start point. And they have $500 for this leg of the race, and the fast-forward clue, which is not claimed, foolishly by some teams, is seen in Ken's hand when they leave the pit stop.
1: Yeah, I, saw it. I think I saw it in Derek and Drew's hand, possibly. But yeah, it's very visible here, where they could have just gone for it instantly.
0: And this is the only fast-forward this season where I don't think anyone has ever confirmed what it is.
1: No, because you don't have a team falsely going for it by accident.
0: No, because we know the tile puzzle from, from Leg 4, definitely because of Ken and Gerard going for it, but no one has ever talked about the Episode 5 one, I don't think.
1: What's funny is that um, it was just how, how badly Ken and Gerard, Derek and Drew and Andre and Damon mess up getting to Campo de Roca. They take way too many forms of transportation for a location that's only 22 miles away. And I've been to Cabo de Roca.
0: Because of course you have. Yeah, I went there.
1: (laughs) um, Because just outside of Lisbon, there's that town called Sintra. Sintra is really famous because it has the the Peña Castle. Because it looks like a castle you'd see in a Disney movie. And I took a bus from there to get to Cabo de Roca. Because you could take a bus either from there to either Cabo de Roca or to Cascai. So me and uh, a and, uh, person I befriended, we went to Cabo de Roca first, and she's like, oh, actually, I'm going to go to Cascai for a bit. So she just leaves Cabo de Roca really early, goes to Cascai, and then when I go back to Cintra and get on the bus, she's sitting on that bus to go back to Cintra, uh, and she says, yeah, there was nothing on Cascai. which is a big waste of time. Huh? And it's just amusing that, Ken and J- uh, that the fact that all three of them Take a taxi to the train station, and then from the train station, go to Cascai, and then from Cascai, they take a taxi to Cabo de Roca. I'm thinking that seems like a really, really inefficient path, especially because they don't even go to the Belem train station, because Torre de Belem is, I would assume, that's got to be the closest train station to them. So I don't know. I don't know what path they were thinking.
0: It just seems like everyone went a bit nuts in this episode. Yeah. No one the, had a good leg.
1: The fact that all three of those teams that none of them make the diesel mistake and yet they're the last three teams to the detour. Yeah. No no one had a perfect run.
2: Um did Jill in the taxi say to her taxi driver Traino? Yes. And is Traino an actual word? No. I didn't think so. And I went Traino? <laughs> what? Okay. Just checking.
1: It's a very Italian way. Just just add O or something at the end of every word and maybe they'll understand better. Oh, God.
0: Did you also spot that when Terry and Ian get to the train station, we get a taxi screen from Terry, proving that they are a perfect match? <laughs> yeah.
1: When they're on the that bridge on the overpass. And then... This has got to be one of the most iconic-slash-disastrous exits from a pit start I've ever seen, because when Terry and Ian leave the pit start, Ian just immediately starts, he's essentially barking at Terry, saying, where are we going, Terry? Where are we going? (laughs) And then they start by littering, because Terry's like, oh, I dropped something. Ah, forget it. It's garbage. Leave it there. (laughs) Thinking, Fantastic. They start out by littering. Littering and Ian barking at her. And then (laughs) Ian just looks at Terry's bag and says, you're not zipped, Terry. You're not zipped. And then Terry... channeling her inner Austin power says, then zip it. <laughs> thinking that she, I'm thinking Terry is responding to that in more ways than one. There's two meanings to that. I think it's for A- Ian to shut up as well for him to help her close her backpack.
0: I know I've said this in previous episodes, but I cannot understand how people can not like Terry and Ian in this episode. I cannot understand how people can not like Terry and Ian in this season. Because they're utterly nuts but in every sort of fun way they are brilliant casting and this entire episode is a tour de force from terry and ian and i'm saying that fully in the knowledge that one of flo's most iconic moments is in this episode oh god the fact that we can say all these things and still have flo hanging crying screaming off a cliff and it not be the highlight of the episode, is nuts.
1: <laughs> I like how excited Gerard is whenever he sees the Wonder Twins, because we have Gerard with this, with maybe the biggest map I've ever seen someone handle on The Amazing Race ever. <laughs> <laughs> how big do you think that map is? It, it was. It's freaking massive. It definitely fits all of, probably all of Portugal and Spain is on that map.
0: <laughs> the thing is, we saw no context of Ken and Gerard buying that map. I'm assuming they bought it last leg.
1: Yeah, they probably at a gas station or something, yeah.
0: But it is it is such an emblematic way of just showing Ken and Gerard and why they are so successful in this season. Because they have won three of the first five legs. And I think up until this point, they have the best average of the season.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Probably. It's definitely not Derek and Drew, despite how well they've done.
0: I don't have the stats to hand, but I'm pretty sure they have the best record of the season so far. They've won three of the legs, and both of the prizes so far. And this is exactly why. They do the most logical thing, which is, we're going to buy a map for Portugal, it'll maybe only cost us a couple of euros, but if we end up driving, God, that's going to be useful. If we end up needing to find out where somewhere is, that's going to be really useful. This is why Ken and Gerard are so successful in this season and why they win three of the first five legs is they are very good with the planning side of stuff. And I know we've discussed a few times in these episodes already about how the best bit of their being low to self-driving is it is the great equalizer of the show. And the fact that they've got rid of it is an absolute crime because it means teams like Ken and Gerard can be way more successful in the end.
2: Yeah.
1: And then when he sees Derek and Drew come up to them, he just completely ditches the map. He just throws the map to the ground and just sprints over to Derek and Drew and says, we know whatever, we know where it is. We know where it is. We know where it is. And he's really excited to see them. <laughs> and then Andre and Damon come up with this, with this strategy that hasn't, I don't think has ever happened in any other episode of Amazing Race that I've ever seen, where they decide, okay, the first three legs, we were always at the back of the pack. Last leg, we just happened to survive because of that insane equalizer at the train station. We're so stressed out from these poor finishes from the first three rounds. We're not going to lose the pack. If you lose the pack, you're going to lose. So we're going to spend the first half an hour of our day following Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew around M. And then we're going to get to the train station and offer to pay them 30 euros just to follow them for most of the leg. That's amazing.
0: For the record, when we're recording this, that is $35.54. That is 6 or 7% of their money for this leg. They are immediately giving to Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew for the privilege of following them.
1: You would not expect that from a team with like a tough firefighter and a tough police officer, and they're like, um, can we pay to follow you guys and not have to do anything?
0: I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm just so over it by this point. Mm.
1: And then I like how Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew have to huddle and be like, okay, so what, what are we going to do, guys? And I don't know if it was Derek or Drew, but one of them says, well, they're going to try and follow us anyway, and it's going to be, and we're going to wait, we're going to put in way too much effort trying to lose them, so... Let's just take their money, let them follow us, and we'll all work together. So, I mean, it's not the worst strategy in the world. I mean, you you want to align with the two absolute strongest teams just to get over the next couple eliminations, and then maybe you can branch off on your own. <laughs>
2: it's, it's unusual.
1: It's certainly not an unorthodox strategy. It's not gonna. It's gonna be odd when you win this. If you were to win the season, they're like, well. You didn't even do two or three of the legs on your own. You just kept paying teams to let you follow them the whole time. So I think the reason why a maneuver like that would be tougher to do now is because there aren't as many. There, are, well, there are very rarely self-drive legs nowadays. But in a season where I think there are only three, I think there are only three episodes that don't have any self-driving out of thirteen. This is, this is not such a bad idea for a strategy, especially in a season where, there's only, where three, only three out of 13 episodes are non-eliminations.
0: And this goes back to something that I was saying in episode one. Ken and Gerard are so successful because they went in with the strategy of, we're not going to piss anyone off because we might need them in future. Ken and Gerard's first instinct here is to say yes, not because of the money, but because Andre and Damon will owe them in future. Hmm. And it's a great strategy.
1: Yeah, and Ken and Gerard get aligned with a lot of different teams. In fact, by leg 13, they're going to have new allies temporarily too. We're going to have an alliance on the final leg of the race this season.
0: It's a very good strategy from Ken and Gerard's point, especially this early into a show like Amazing Race. You don't necessarily use people and abuse them, But you go into any conversation with a team as them being a potential ally and a potential help later on down the road. Because Andre and Damon have not been spectacular for the first four legs of this season. But you never know when something comes up that Andre and Damon are going to be very, very good at in a roadblock, for example, and can help you out in future. Exactly. Regardless of them giving you €15 per team for the privilege of just helping them once.
1: And, uh, oh, yeah, we have Michael and Kathy showing off their geography knowledge. Who? <laughs> when Michael and Kathy, when they're talking to that British woman in Belém, where she points out, points it out to, wh- to where it is for them on a map, and Michael says, oh, it's in England? No, 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 it's 22 miles away. And I'm thinking, imagine the alternate universe where Michael and Kathy go to the airport, fly to England in search of Cabo de Roca.
2: But why would you go back to England is my my question. You've already been there. You wouldn't go back there. It's just so weird.
1: Eh, well, on To start of Lake 3, they had to fly back through Mexico City and Miami to get get to the leg 3 location. So it wouldn't be the first time they've had to backtrack this season.
2: Yeah, but not actually go and do a, a task again in a previous country.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, I would have loved it if they did fly back to to think it was Land's End or something. But... I mean, seriously, Michael and Kathy do not come off very well in this episode. We've seen nothing of them, basically, for most of this season so far. And then you get one episode of them, and it is a very interesting experience, for want of a better term.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that.
0: I also love that when Aaron and Ariane ask how they should get to Cabo de Roca, they are told to take a bus or a train. So their first instinct is is to instead take a taxi.
1: And their instincts are right. Like people forget that Aaron and Ariane were really good racers overall during the season. Because even though they start out this leg in last place, it's it's like, well, were they really last? <laughs> it's not a definitive last place finish compared to who started out in last in the previous episodes because What's the spread? 25 minutes from first to eighth for this leg, leaving the pit start?
0: Yeah, 25 minutes.
1: Yeah, like the only reason why Aaron and Ariane are last is because their taxi driver screwed up for the most part. And Ariane was really short for that soccer net. And then maybe they gained time. They probably gained time on some of the teams getting to the pit stop, I would say, considering that when they showed up at the roadblock, everyone was gone except for Terry and Ian who had just shown up along with them.
0: Hmm. And talking of Aaron and Ariane being pretty good racers, they are the first to arrive at Cabo de Roca and find out that it is a detour, which is the iconic Ropes or Slopes.
1: I'm surprised they even beat John Vito and Jill to the detour.
0: Yeah, they got very lucky with their taxi driver here, but they're pretty good racers. Their instinct here to drive rather than get the bus or the train was a sound one. So in ropes, teams must take a shuttle to the top of the Ursa Cliffs, and then abseil 300 feet down them to reach a clue box on the beach. In slopes, teams have to take long trails down the same hills to reach the same clue box. And I also love that when John Vito and Jill appear at this uh, clue box, Jill takes a tumble right after John Vito warns her not to break an ankle. <laughs>
1: no. Alright, not <laughs> not break your ankle, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay.
0: oh it's just this is such a good episode i'm in a really bad mood today and talking about this episode brightens it right up. i'll be honest (laughs)
2: oh
0: that's good (laughs) if it was any other episode i probably would have said to you guys yeah can we just delay it by another 24 hours i want to go to bed oh
2: god well there you go
0: so flo and zach arrive and flo it's fair to say does not want to abseil
2: oh god
0: (laughs) i think it's time that me and logan should just mute our microphones and let michelle talk about flow abseiling
2: jesus christ (laughs) it's not that hard she doesn't even get she doesn't even start and she's screaming what is that and what was that wine that noise that was coming out of her was just not normal
0: Even if I hadn't already sent you guys the banner for this episode yesterday, I think you would have guessed what the banner was going to be this episode, because Flo, half-hanging off that cliff, is one of the funniest things in Amazing Race history.
2: I'm sorry, she's pathetic. Absolutely pathetic.
0: I absolutely love Flo, and I will defend her to the ends of the earth in terms of Amazing Race, but her hanging off a cliff is just manna from heaven for someone like me who has to talk about this.
1: I like how when they're practicing too, because they just practice on the flat ground first for the safety training, right? And she says, oh, that's what we're doing. I don't want to do that. And then <laughs> Zach is talking to the one other safety instructor off to the side, and he says, "He's she's going to lose it, right? Like, this is this is a legitimate clip. She'll be hanging off the side. And, they, and then the guy says, yeah, it's it's a clip. Like, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> they just both just start laughing about it. And then... The whole music changes. Flo is on the side and Michael is there trying to coach her. And he says, Flo, you're okay. I've been taking the coward's way out for all of these tasks. I'm really scared too. This is the first time I'm doing something that really scares me. The rope is safe. The rope is safe. Aaron will disagree with that. But uh, Michael is doing his best to be like, You're going to be okay, Flo. You're okay. And then she's like, oh, Zach, I don't want to. I don't want to. And then we get to the best bit of gibberish I think I've seen on The Amazing Race at the peak of her fear which is I, don't want to... I, don't want to...
0: I am slightly worried that this season is just going to end up being constant stingers of flow noises at the end of it I'm a little bit worried that that is going to be a thing
1: Well this is the peak of it right here is flow on the cliff because it's no one understands what she is trying to say because it's after this bit of shouting gibberish. Then she says, okay, (laughs) I can't do this, Zach. I need to get back up. And, uh, oh yeah, to cut back to Terry and Ian trying to find uh, Cabo de Roca. When they finally do get into the taxi after the whole zip it, it's garbage, you're not zipped, blah, 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 blah. When they're in the taxi and Terry and Ian are both trying to say the clue at the exact same time and... I think this might be the top of the audience just hating Ian or Ian because he's, he's like, okay, fine. I'm not going to talk over you. You you you, you tell him where we need to go. And then Terry starts crying in the taxi. She's, she's not doing well here. And then Ian looks at the camera and says, I'm the pilot. She's the navigator. When I say we fly, we need to fly. And I'm thinking... Ooh, that quote, I remember that quote specifically pissed off people back in two thousand two. That quote would piss off people ten times more, I think, in two thousand
2: twenty-one. Oh, definitely.
1: And then when Flo and Zach do switch detours, they, they actually they do walk by Tyranny and says, Okay, good luck. And then as soon as he they're out of earshot, he says, Well, we'll make up tons of time now. Because <laughs> that's not gonna be a fun climb. And as someone who has been there, it's, walking down any of those trails around Cabo de Roca, those trails are very, very steep. I don't know if I'd really call them trails all that much, but I would not want to do that hike down to the to the shoreline.
0: <laughs> how did they get back from there? Did they all have to walk back up the trails? Mm, good question.
1: I guess they would have to. I don't know how else, it's not like they can climb back up.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that because... It feels like everyone probably had to walk up the trails, unless there was another trail that they could go up to get to the cars that they needed or something. Safer up than down.
1: If only we had more time to show that in this episode, because there's a lot of things they have to cut out, and I'm sure hiking back up through the slopes of Cabo de Roca was probably one of the things that had to be on the cutting room floor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You mean to tell me there was stuff cut from this episode to make more time for people putting the wrong fuel in their
2: cars?
1: (laughs) For another massive self-drive journey?
2: Um, Can I just say that Ian coming down the slope was amazing. I'm sorry, he looked like something out of an action movie.
0: He did. He's obviously done that before.
1: Yeah. Well, he worked as an undercover cop too.
0: Oh, okay. I mean, every undercover cop does have to... I've sailed down a cliff occasionally. <laughs> in the eighties, in the Everglades,
2: in a white suit.
1: Yeah, in a white suit. But yeah, he but he definitely blew through that faster than anybody. In contrast to first place, Aaron, who was telling Vito. Vito. So actually, we do get an answered to Michelle's question from last time. Yeah. Do people call him John or do people call him Vito? And Aaron, right away when. Him and John Vito are doing the are doing the repel. He says, oh, I'm scared shitless, Vito. <laughs> <laughs> so there's your answer. He gets called Vito. And Aaron's rope gets caught and he starts freaking out. John Vito and Jill pass him. And then I think Michael and Kathy end up doing it after that. Terry and Ian, of course, blow through it. It's after, after Ian does the, does the task very, very quickly, Terry then has to go down where she's scared. And then Ian just Keeps yelling out instructions to her. Down, right, down, right, left, down, right, left, down, up. Uh, A, B, B, A. (laughs) Stop it, Ian.
0: (laughs) I think I probably know the answer to this from Michelle, but have you guys ever done abseiling?
2: Uh, No, I haven't, actually. I wish I had.
0: Nope. Really? I have. I was terrible at it, because I'm not exactly the smallest or most coordinated person in the world, and I did keep just banging into the wall. And it hurt. And I've only ever done it once.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't have a problem doing it. I am not. I wouldn't be scared or anything. I'd be like, yeah, let's try this. Oh my God, did you hurt yourself?
0: Um, I, I did hurt myself a bit, yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> I whacked into the wall. It hurt. I know this is turning into a season full of coach. I have moments, but yeah. I've got to take my victories when I can, because, you know, have you been to Portugal? I have. Have you been to Lisbon? I have. Have you been to Morocco? I have.
1: You've been to Morocco?
0: Yeah, I've been to Morocco. I've not been to um, to Fez or to Marrakesh. I've not been to Tangier either. I've been to uh, to Agadir, which is just down the coast.
1: Mm.
0: I've never actually been to anywhere they've uh, been in this Morocco visit.
1: And John Vito and read that they have to drive 250 miles to Algeciras and also take a ferry to get over to Morocco. Tangier, Morocco, which will then be revisited 27 seasons later for season 30.
0: It's very interesting, this drive, because the timings are wonky at best. Do you think that they deliberately timed this so everyone would have to wait at the port, in theory?
1: I don't know, because I could see where the first morning ferry from Algeciras to Tangier would be at 7am. That seems like a reasonable time for the first ferry to embark.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's a plausible length of drive that in theory people could have got there for about maybe six, seven in the evening. And I'd be very surprised if there wasn't a ferry that evening. Depends what day of the week it is. I think that route is particularly frequent. There's one an hour during the day, and that's from that ferry port alone. I think they probably intended on the first people just about missing that first ferry and then having to sleep in the cars at the uh at the port what they got was not necessarily that
1: uh, well I'm looking at it now it says it's 664 kilometers and it's uh and by car it would take 6 hours and 17 minutes is the fastest route
0: that seems long
1: yeah i'm looking at three they have three different routes listed and that's one of them if you drive by car i don't think it's the most direct route cuz you got to go through i'm cause you got to go through specific towns it's not like it's a straight lines to Algeciras.
0: Yeah, 681 kilometers, you're not wrong?
1: It's the one of the longest self-drive legs ever.
0: 225 miles must have been as the crow flies then. Yeah. Because 681 kilometers is... Not two hundred twenty,
1: not 250 miles? That'd be like 500.
0: Yeah, nowhere near 250 miles. Because 250 miles is about 400 kilometers. So yeah, that's that's nonsense, Philip. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Phillips.
1: So let's see, they'd be done the detour at what, probably, when they actually... Four-ish? Maybe five, because you got to climb all the way back up from the bottom.
0: Because <laughs> if you think, the three old male teams arrived at Cascais at four. So that's roughly about when, when Aaron and Ariane leave first. It's about four o'clock, so at best they would be arriving at the port non-stop at about eleven o'clock in the evening. That's if they make no mistakes and no stops.
1: Yeah, if they know where to go the second they step into the car. And I, I think it takes a bit of time to figure out how to get out of Cabo de Roque or out of Cascai.
0: <laughs> so in summary, they 100% intended on people sleeping in those cars, to answer my question. Because it is not a 250 mile drive. And I did have to laugh when Aaron said that he knew they'd be going to Morocco.
1: Yeah, he's like, I knew it, I knew
0: it. It's like of all the places you thought you would be going... Morocco probably wouldn't be the top one, I'd guess. I don't know what I'd guess.
1: Unless it's what they already had the visa for, was for Morocco before yeah. they started. And they're like, well, it's the only African country we have a visa for.
0: Yeah, because this is the era of them getting like 25, 30 visas. Mm. I don't think you'd necessarily be able to guess that you're going to be going to Morocco straight away. Even if you're in Portugal and you think you're going to be doing a self-drive.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I guess it would matter just he figured something out that we weren't privy to. Oh, one of my favorite things when Flo and Zach are walking is, is just uh, Zach saying, "We tried it. Relax. He did a great effort." <laughs> when he's talking about her <laughs> trying to tilt the there was no do- great effort. Down.
2: There was nothing. He's he's too diplomatic. <laughs> God,
0: I think it is really sweet that even though Flo does freak out when she sees the cliff, is this a joke? Even though she does freak out when you know she's hanging off said cliff. Everyone around her is super reassuring, and it is very nice to see. And it's something I'd completely forgotten about until I rewatched this episode. Because Michael's very reassuring, Zach is really reassuring, and Ian even offers a handshake as they leave.
1: Yeah, actually, there's complete contrast in back-to-back scenes, because you have everyone reassuring Flo, where Flo is struggling initially on the clip, saying, This is a joke. This is a fucking joke. And then Michael says, Let will be right by, by your side, Flo. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, girl and then Flo's like, what do you mean? I'm supposed to look at the rope that's supposed to help? Yeah, you'll be fine, girl, just look at the rope and rappel down and then you cut to Terry and Ian doing the safety training and Terry, who was as scared as Flo was heading into the task she says, well, what if that undoes Ian and Ian just says, well, you fall
0: You die (laughs) You die
1: You die die in Cabo de Roca
0: (laughs) You will do a 300 foot drop and I will be going home a widower what yeah. else do you think is going to happen? Hoorah. <laughs> One funny thing I did forget to mention is that when John Vito and Jill are doing it, and John Vito is at the bottom cheering Jill on, he just tells us to look at her feet. Don't look down, just look at your feet. And unless you're built weirdly, your feet are going to be below you. And therefore, you're going to have to look down <laughs> to look at your feet.
2: <laughs>
0: unless your feet are above you, in which case you've got bigger issues when you're rappelling down a cliff.
2: <laughs> that'd be funny
1: and then uh, we have, of course Ken doing the detour where or when he's repelling and he's going slow at first and he's against uh, Damon and Gerard shouts out just pretend there's a dozen glazed donuts at the bottom and then Ken just sprints down the side of the cliff
2: No, that was great
1: and beats Damon who definitely does this professionally hmm <laughs> <laughs> who says, yeah, I, I do repelling for the fire department.
0: This is my jam, guys.
1: Yeah, and then he gets, then Ian kicks his ass at the rappel, and and Ken kicks his ass, too. <laughs> and what's the, and another funny thing is that when Michael and Kathy finish the detour, Michael says, today, today wasn't bad. I have seen worse days on the race. And I'm thinking, your day ain't over, my friend.
0: <laughs> we talked so much last episode about beautiful foreshadowing on the walk to your next pit stop bit there is beautiful foreshadowing on everything to do with diesel game beginning with michael saying i've had worse days on the race and you just know that that's gonna change and then the very next scene is aaron driving and telling Ariane that they're gonna have to stop for fuel and this baby needs a nice batch of unleaded
1: that's where the nightmare begins for so many teams.
2: That, that's actually such a good line, because never do you say in a car, oh, I need to give it some unleaded. You just say, oh, I need to stop for petrol or gas if you're in America. And you just say that. You don't say the actual fuel. It's just the, it's such a gold line for the editors.
0: The other element of this is the fact that, in the UK at least, It is spectacularly difficult to put the wrong fuel in your car because the fuel pumps are shaped differently.
2: Yeah, the nozzles are different, aren't they?
0: An unleaded fuel pump will not go in a diesel slot in a UK car unless you really push it, unless (laughs) you really put some effort in. It is very, very, very difficult to put an unleaded nozzle in a diesel fuel cap and vice versa because they are shaped differently. And I would probably put money on it being exactly the same in Portugal, and in Spain, or wherever they filled up.
2: They didn't look like they had problems putting putting the nozzle in, though.
0: Maybe they just got really unlucky and filled up at a petrol station that doesn't do the differently shaped nozzles, but definitely in the UK, that is a thing, and I'm assuming from what you said, definitely in Australia it's also a thing. It is much more difficult than you'd anticipate to do that, Mm -hmm. and so many teams do.
1: And uh, I like when Michael and Kathy fill up the the car, too, where Michael said, yeah, I had a tough time telling the attendant that I needed it unleaded. And I'm thinking, probably because he thought it was a diesel car.
0: (laughs) I know everyone was super tired by this point. Obviously, they've they've just come off the back of doing a three and a half hour train ride, then doing a physical roadblock, then having to walk to the pit stop in the middle of the night, and then probably not having much rest for the rest of the day, because obviously it was a 12 hour pit stop but I really don't have much sympathy for anyone filling up the wrong fuel here when it literally says diesel on the car.
1: Well, just think their entire pit stop was during daylight hours, right? Because they probably, I'm guessing they all had to wait a good chunk of time to figure out what the ruling was on Heather and Eve's elimination. Like it wasn't, boom, 2.54am, Aaron and Ariane check in, then Aaron and Ariane, Heather and Eve have that meeting, and Heather and Eve are kicked out by 10 after 3 I'm pretty sure it was probably a good four a.m. or so before all the teams were even allowed to go to bed. Plus, they were probably all chatting with each other about what happened. So, it's not the easiest thing to just try and sleep at like from like eight a.m. to what two p.m. most likely. And then now they've just driven. A lot of teams probably drove for what four hours ish before they stopped for fuel. And it's even worse when it's not just, oh, Aaron Ariane and Michael and Kathy screwed up. It's like, no, Flo and Zach put in the wrong fuel too. And so did Terry and Ian. Four out of eight teams put in the wrong fuel.
0: But not all of those teams give up.
1: No, I have a quick question. Would Heather and Eve have put in the wrong fuel?
0: Yes. Next question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it just says we have to put diesel fuel next to the car.
2: And then Aaron says, I want to go home. Isn't that a little drastic? And he's crying. I mean, what the hell? Is he really tired?
0: The fact that last episode we had Eve not being able to drive her car, I would put money easily on the fact that Heather and Eve would have filled it with the wrong fuel. 100%. It's not a question in my mind. So Aaron decides they need to stop for fuel. This baby needs a nice batch of unleaded. Andre and Damon and John Vito and Jill also both stop for fuel and John Vito and Michael and Aaron all use unleaded when it's a diesel car, and Ian is shown making the same mistake, despite Terry trying subtly to convince him maybe he should check before filling it.
1: We're not diesel, are we? No.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think necessarily after this episode you come around to loving Terry and Ian as much as I do straight away, but what Ian ends up doing to save them, basically, is a pretty baller move. I think you can definitely make an argument that Terry, looking smug at the end, is probably justified, and Ian, not talking shit for the rest of the episode, is probably justified after her being proven so right here. (laughs) Aaron's car begins driving sluggishly. I wonder why that happened. There's no acceleration, and no brake, and he's on a motorway.
1: And then, yeah, we get the iconic scene of him... Sitting down on the edge of the road, crying next to Ariane, who's staying up, and he he just cries on her knee for who knows how long.
0: Come on. Come on. I was watching this episode yesterday just going, oh, Michelle's going to really hate these people.
2: (laughs) Just, just, I don't hate them. Just grab a backbone from somewhere. Jesus.
0: So everyone's car begins breaking down. Ian tells Terry that it was clearly marked as regular gas. Even though it clearly was not.
1: (laughs) It was clearly marked Gasolina.
0: Zach and Terry both spot the diesel signs and they realise how screwed they are. And as Logan says, Aaron breaks down at 1am in the middle of nowhere. And something I did spot that I found even funnier is the fact that the company that provided the cars this time also provided the cars last time. And therefore... That company is responsible for Eve having a car that was driven into a bollard and four of these teams putting the wrong fuel in the car.
2: Poor car, company.
0: That is five cars that they have provided out of, what, 17? That have had hmm. some sort of pretty major issue and something that would cost quite a lot of money for them to fix.
1: <laughs> and you can tell which teams are truly competitive in the race and which ones aren't because you get a lot of insight into how these teams operate based on how they react to putting the wrong fuel in the car because it's like the most devastating thing that can happen on a self-drive leg. It's 1 o'clock in the morning when this happens to most of the teams and they got to figure out, okay, how do we get the car fixed and still be competitive in the race? So you have the master Terry and Ian approach which is Ian just... Just grab, needing a siphon hose, any sort of hose, really. And it being a do-it-yourself project of going underneath the car, checking where the fuel line is underneath this truck. He has never driven before until today. Knock out the fuel line, let all of the gas pour out onto the road. And then, I guess, seal up the fuel line again. And then put the correct gas in there. And then be on their way and probably only lose maybe an hour of time, I would say. A couple out maybe an hour and a half potentially.
0: I don't understand how anyone can hate Ian after this.
1: Yeah. No, it's really clever.
0: It's genuinely impressive, his performance here.
1: It's like, they're not just any, like, can you imagine, say, I don't know, Dave and Margareta trying to do this on their own? Probably not, or, uh, like Peggy and Claire?
2: <laughs> Whereas, you've got Aaron on the other hand, sitting on the side of the road crying. I- I'm... I just can't understand. Get your ass up and walk to somewhere. Don't sit on the side of the road. You're in a race. What are you doing? I don't care how tired you are. I don't care what you've done to yourself. I don't care. Just get up and walk. Oh, my God.
0: I think this genuinely is the most angry we've ever heard of Michelle.
2: <laughs> no, I'm sure I've been angrier. i have just these pathetic oh, my God, if I still saw him now, if I ever saw him now, I'd say, oh, hi, whatever, and then I'd be like, why? Why were you on the side of the road? I'd still ask. I'd ask him to his face.
0: This this is why I love Michelle being here for her Amazing Race podcast.
2: (laughs) Just ridiculous.
0: So, yeah, Zach manages to get a tow truck driver to come out, and Flo says she doesn't even want to continue on the race and contrast that with Ian, who gets a siphon hose, and MacGyver's his way back into the race. And I do have to point out, Terry looks so proud of him for doing this.
2: Doesn't she? She I wrote that down, actually.
0: She's so beaming. You can tell how much they love each other even 22 years into the marriage here. It's very sweet. Now they've been together over
1: 40 years.
0: Yeah, that's slightly terrifying to think about, isn't
1: it? And I like how Ian actually took responsibility for this, because. I think up to this point, fans were thinking like, oh, this guy's such a jerk. He's just playing everything on Terry, like with the making her do the the Highland Games roadblock and referring to himself as the pilot and she's the navigator. And then here it's like, yep, yeah, this is all my mistakes. So that means I got to be the one to fix it and get us back in the race because it was all my fault. Like Ian definitely is the type to be completely responsible for himself if he's the one who's, who screws it up, especially when he realizes, oh, when Terry was asking if the car was needed diesel, she was referring to the car itself. And yeah, you get the different reaction. Like you have Flo and Zach where Flo says, oh, we're in a twilight zone. I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to walk to a gas station. I don't know if it's safe, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like Flo is one of those people, like I know some some people in my life too, who are really competitive at certain things, but have a tendency to want to quit like 20 times or so, where They'll just be the complainers, like when you play, say, basketball at school, and then you have the one person saying, oh, this sucked, you know, I hate this game, I never want to play again, and they're one of the better basketball players on the team. It's kind of like what, how Flo always behaves, where she says, oh, I don't want to do this, this sucks, I want to quit, but I guess I'll just do this anyway and be really competitive about it. It just really wears you down if she's your only teammate, as opposed to having, say, five or six people on your team. So you have those two teams that are comp- that. You can tell why we're going to be talking about Flo and Zach and Terry and Ian as end gamers in this season. And then, by contrast, you have Michael and Kathy and Aaron and Ariane who go through the same situation. You have Aaron crying on the side of the road where Aaron and Ariane are good racers. Like, they finish in the top three in the first three legs. They were able to go from last place to first place instantaneously at the start of this episode. But then they get one major curveball thrown at them. The first real curveball that has ever been thrown at Erin and Ariane all season. And they just sit on the side of the road and do nothing. I don't know if they were just, I mean, it's not like everyone broke down in the same place, like for Terry Neen and Flo and Zach. It seems like they broke down very close to some sort of gas station, especially with the, the fact that Flo and Zach were first to get their car fixed.
2: How long do you think it would take for the cars to break down? How many
1: Ks? I think it would vary from car to car, I would say. It depends on how much fuel you would have left of the other gas, right? Mm. Of the gas you're supposed to have.
0: Yeah, so weirdly, I have actually asked about this in in the past to more knowledgeable people about cars than I am. Really? Yeah, I I can't remember how this came up in a conversation, but I, I genuinely have asked about this. So the main difference between unleaded and diesel fuel in terms of this sort of stuff is that diesel is far denser i think so diesel sits at the bottom which is where all the fuel will come through so the fuel comes through from the the bottom of the the fuel tank and then goes up and goes through your combustion engine and stuff so what will happen is the diesel is still all at the bottom it burns through all the diesel and then as soon as it starts sucking the unleaded in that's when you'll start having problems because it just doesn't work in the same way whereas if you if you did diesel in an unleaded car you'd have far more of a problem far quicker because the diesel would just sink. The diesel sinks and that would be the first stuff through the catalytic converter or whatever. Right. So depending on how much fuel they had left, they could have gone a reasonable way before realising they had an issue with the diesel car with the unleaded fuel that they'd put in.
2: Mm.
0: Is the long answer to that question.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... After that little fuel education by Michael, um
0: That's what I'm here for. That and being uh, in a bad mood.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I genuinely didn't know that, that diesel fuel is denser.
0: Yeah, as as far as I have been told, and I'm sure we'll get letters if I'm wrong about this, uh diesel is is heavier so diesel sinks straight away. So you'd have you'd actually have far more of a problem in a leaded car if you put diesel in it, immediately at least. But it would still, regardless, fuck up your engine.
1: And uh Oh, yeah, then, of course, we have Michael and Kathy's reaction, which is the most non-competitive reaction to this whole situation. Like, you can see why Flo and Zach and Terry Dean are ones who pushed through all these difficult situations. Aaron and Ariane did not do well with their first curveball, as I said. But who knows, though? The thing with Aaron and Ariane is they could have been really far away from a gas station to where it's like, well, the last service station we found was you know 10 or 15 or maybe if it's like 15 or 20 kilometers away maybe it's like okay we just gotta accept the fact that we can't move from here that could be why Aaron's crying maybe if they were closer to a gas station they would just be casually strolling just like Flo and Zach did because it seemed like Flo and Zach were really close to one and then Terranine was able to get that siphon hose mm. so maybe Aaron and I were just truly in the middle of because you know there's highways like that here and not you know in Canada where yeah they're out. there's nothing Nothing.
0: I have been on some of those highways in a car.
1: <laughs> like, what would you say, Michael, probably about you can go easily 20, You can, if you were to break down somewhere, you could be 20 kilometers away from anything, maybe 30?
0: Yeah, easily that far. So
1: that could have been the situation. I would say if it's anything more... As much as 15 kilometers or more, I would say you're pretty much not going to be able to go anywhere. Because you, you have to think you have to backtrack all the way to your car, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, the other element of this is, of course, the fact that it's 1am. There aren't going to be many cars passing to be able to help them.
1: And the, the car's that are, And then maybe it's Derek and Drew who bypass you on the road and it's like, Flash your lights, say, how you doing?
0: And I know I came into this episode going, oh, Michael and Kathy go home here. I can't exactly remember how they do it. I know, obviously, they get affected by Dieselgate. I can't remember exactly how they do it. But they are so thoroughly nonplussed by the fact that they've done a massive boo-boo. They're more focused on the fact that they've, you know, broken down near a pretty nice hotel. Let's just use most of our leg money, spend the night there, and deal with it in the morning. It'll be fine.
1: Yeah, that's the the contrast, too, is I can forgive Aaron and Ariane's tactic because we don't know how far away they were. But Michael and Kathy broke down just outside of that really nice hotel. If out of all four teams broke down, they should have been fixed the fastest, I would say, because they could just go in there and be like, hey, my car broke down. Let's get a tow truck, get it to a mechanic who's probably close by since they're at a four-star hotel. And then, boom, they should have been out on the road probably before anybody else, I would say. Except maybe Ian and maybe Flo and Sack were really close to a gas station too, to the mechanic anyway. But in this case, yeah, Michael and Kathy should have easily survived this leg. But it's like, nope, we broke down, we're at a nice hotel. Yeah, this is a good place to stop for the night. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. They check into a hotel and then it gets even more ridiculous because it's not just they wait until morning. It's they get up in the morning. And they have a hotel like continental breakfast, and I'm thinking, wow, they're really taking their time.
2: (laughs) I can't even talk about
0: it. And on top of that, to add insult to injury, we don't even see them get the ferry the next day, which suggests to me that either they were really far away from the port when they broke down, and therefore fucked up there somehow, or it took ages for them to get fixed because they did nothing about it until like 10 o'clock the next morning it's dark in Morocco by the time they actually get there and we still to this day, 19 years later have no idea whether Michael or Kathy did that roadblock, but I've probably guess Michael
1: I don't know, I don't know how many vats are open at midnight in, in Fez
0: that's the thing, they got there when it was super dark and it's summer so sunset would have been probably about 10 o'clock in the evening there like, the fact that they were so thoroughly nonchalant about the entire incident is infuriating and hilarious in equal measures.
1: I would say they probably didn't even bother getting their car fixed until even Aaron and Arianne had gotten onto the ferry, too.
0: Yeah, because Aaron and Arianne were on the 9 o'clock ferry, I think it was. Whereas Michael and Kathy probably weren't on the ferry till about 6 o'clock in the evening, I'd guess.
1: Yeah, maybe a little bit earlier, I don't know. And who, and then who knows what would have happened with those charter buses to get from Tangier to Fed. Did so they just get to Tangier and then there was a production car and then production just told them how to get to the pit stop because I wouldn't be surprised if that's what ended up happening. Cause it's not yeah. like Phil can, Phil can't meet them in Tangier. As we've said before, these places get so spread out for the pit stops in the earlier seasons that that wouldn't have been plausible there, but
0: Tangier to Fez is four and a half hours, apparently.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to guess they didn't even bother making them get on a charter, I, I'm or on the, one of those charter buses. My assumption is they just had Michael and Kathy drive that four and a half hours to the pit stop. So they didn't bring their bags or nothing when they were on the mat either. But yeah, the fact that they checked into a hotel and they stayed there until their checkout time at like 10 or 11 a.m. in the morning.
2: Oh my God.
0: I just love how thoroughly kind of non-plus they were by the entire thing. We've heard that Kathy is so type A and saw nothing of her being so type A. And I feel like it probably leaned more on Michael being type C in this episode.
2: <laughs> I was so angry. I just had to move on. Let's move on on.
0: Let's move on before Michelle throws something in the, uh, in the, uh, and inches the children.
2: Oh my God. Guess what?
0: I was watching a
2: show. No, I was watching a show last week and there was an oubliette in it and I went, oh my god. Oh my god. It was really disgusting and awful. But I was like, oh my god, that's what it looks like.
0: (laughs) You're the one who put your children in there. Yeah. (laughs) So Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew are the next to arrive at the port after Andre and Damon are the first to literally anything and then John Vito and Jill pull up. The ferry that they get on is 7am. They're the only four to actually board it. Then Flo and Zach and Terry and Ian arrive at the port for the 8am ferry, and both board in time. Despite Flo being a little bit irritated that Terry and Ian actually made it.
1: And being irritated with Zach that he didn't ask anybody on where to go to get onto the ferry, where she's just cussing out Zach quietly saying, "Zach, just ask people. If you ask, we would know. And then this is something I'd, I'd never noticed until this rewatch either, was Zach saying, Flo, I just drove 12 fucking hours. <laughs> Those <laughs> were his exact words. Cause, they, Cause I heard the I heard the censor. I'm like, oh man, it's like the most pissed I've heard. Zach's like, I just drove 12 for, for fucking hours, and then Flo responds saying, mm-hmm. because of your mistake, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, why did not they increase the audio on this conversation? Because it was it's a really quiet conversation, and it's the first time where Zach's like, God, oh, Flow, I just drove twelve hours. We had to get this car fixed, and with everything else I'm done. I'm just exhausted. Leave me alone.
0: Yeah, for context, anyone who turned up that late will not have slept. Because they have to. I think they have to keep the same driver. We very, very rarely see teams swap drivers mid-drive, basically.
1: You think Flo's going to drive that car?
0: Well, exactly, that's what I mean. So, Zach had to drive 12 hours on no sleep. Flo was probably sleeping in the back. I certainly would be if I were in a position. So she is at least reasonably well-rested compared to Zach. Whereas Zach is running on absolute fumes by this point. He's had no sleep since probably the bus <laughs> ride in Aberdeen or the castle in Aberdeen. He's running on absolute fumes by this point. And we actually see him slightly snap at flow. It's very, very rare throughout the season that Zach loses his temper in any way, shape, or form, but he loses his temper here, and it's delightful.
1: <laughs> and I like how when the new attack, act like, oh, I really hope Terry don't make it. All the all the younger teams still have this thing against Terry and And then... I think this is where I learned the word indubitably is because of Ian, where he's like, yeah, we made it indubitably. And I, I think that's a, that was the very first time I heard that word in my life.
2: Mm. Um, I want to backtrack. When did they start bringing in replacement cars?
1: Before, before the season.
2: Before? Then why didn't they have replacement cars ready for them, I wonder?
1: Because it was 1 a.m.
2: So? <laughs> you still should have a car ready.
1: I was thinking about that too, like, hmm, there are four teams that broke down. The first instinct of all four teams would be to get a replacement car. But it's like, okay, so how would those replacement cars work? A, would they have as many as four ready to go? B, the rule is if the car breaks down through no fault of the team, you get a replacement car, but no time credit is given Mm. for this unlucky situation. So then I was thinking, hmm, maybe because... Production said, "Oh, we're not giving you a replacement car because it's through your own fault.
2: (laughs) You all did something stupid."
1: And teams like, "Well, we don't know what we did." (laughs) So I was thinking that might be part of it too. It's like, "Well, you broke down the car, so we're not going to give you a replacement car." It's not like something that's on a malfunction. And then number three, if they are allowed to get a replacement car, even if it is their own fault, maybe it's because you need at least four cars. It's the drive is over six hundred kilometers. And it's being done in the middle of the night. So where do you position the replacement cars? Like how fast can a replacement car get to a team? Probably Mm. faster than whatever the hell Michael and Kathy did. Because I'm thinking, well, if any team could have gotten a replacement car, it would for sure be Michael and Kathy who were at a four-star hotel, which indicates they were in a fairly populated area. They're not going to be in the middle of nowhere on the highway. Mm. So, There'd be a few reasons there, but I'm guessing the biggest one is the fact that it was their own fault that they didn't get a... is why production said, no, you're not getting a replacement car.
2: Yeah.
1: Figure this out.
0: So once teams arrive in Morocco, they have to then take a taxi to V.S. Flandria Travel Agency and sign up for charter buses to Fez, which will depart one hour apart and each can only take three teams. So, John Vito and Jill, who got their second to the ferry, end up getting left behind.
1: Well look at the draw. And at
2: this point I had lost track of where every team was because there were so many different transport options, not options, just, just transport. I had no idea where anyone was, what the order was. I'd just written it down and I'd
0: just given up. It made me laugh so hard in our group chat when you just went, oh, so many transport options. What the hell?
2: I know, because I'd lost track, and I've written it down. I have no idea where anybody is. I have no idea of the order. I'm just going to watch the show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, all you need to know is that seven of these teams are in Morocco, and one of them is getting a massage at a four-star hotel.
2: (laughs) Pathetic. So many people were pathetic in this episode.
0: (laughs) Did anyone graduate too stupid?
2: Um, no. No. I don't think so. No, they were
0: just pathetic. (laughs) So once teams get to Fez, they get dropped off in the old city and find their next clue, which is the roadblock for this leg of the race. The roadblock is who has a keen sense of direction and a not-so-keen sense of smell. That's you, Zach. Hey, Zach, you know how you've had, like, zero hours of sleep in the past three days? Why don't you go (laughs) and wake yourself up by smelling some horrible dye? Because that's kind of the implication for flow here. So in this roadblock, one team member must search through 25 vats of dye that are horrible smelling to find a clue that is hidden in three of them. And it is Gerard, Damon, Derek, John Vito, Ian, Zach, and Aaron doing this roadblock. And we also get this being Morocco, of course, that traditionally Spanish-speaking country. We get a rapido rapido from Gerard in the market.
1: Yeah. Gerard's really good with Spanish. You can tell why he tries to use Spanish as much as possible.
0: Yeah, the problem is, he's not good with Arabic or French, both of which are actually spoken in Morocco.
1: Yeah, I know. I think he'd get away with it with maybe in Tangier, and that's about it.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say that. He'd probably get away with it on the coast, maybe in a port city like Tangier where there's ferries coming from Spain. He's probably not going to get away with it as much in somewhere like Fez.
1: Or the funky Spanish enclave in Morocco too.
0: So Gerard finds a clue quickly, he leaves first with André in second, and teams must now drive themselves, much to Zach's delight I'm sure, to the Borgnoor, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team to check in will be eliminated.
1: I'm surprised they were given cars to self-drive for such a short distance again.
0: It's just hilarious though, isn't it? The fact that they're forcing these people to drive when a lot of them are going to be very tired and making mistakes.
1: and. When Aaron and Ariane are checking into the ferry, too, it's funny where Aaron has the classic quote of, we went from being happy and excited to bitter and jaded in the span of 24 hours. (laughs) And then when they get to Tangier where they see, because all the teams had to sign up and Aaron and Ariane see that Michael and Kathy hadn't even signed up for the ferry where they argue. Ariane says, I think Michael and Kathy are going to show up. And Aaron says, I'll be positive and think they won't show up. And I'm sure they're also assuming that Michael and Kathy went for the fast forward, and that's why their name isn't on that
0: list. Yeah, I was thinking that. That's the only excuse for them not rejoicing when they see Michael and Kathy's name not on that board, is the fact that you've kind of got to assume if a team isn't there, and they haven't taken a fast forward yet, they've probably gone for the fast forward and checked in hours ago.
1: Yeah, so mm. that's that's what I would assume if I was Aaron and why you don't hear them excited until the second they hit the pit stop. <laughs>
0: It is a real shame that we don't know what the fast-forward was, because I'm assuming it would have been in Portugal, and they still would have had to drive seven hours or whatever to get there.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if the fast-forward was in uh, Sintra. actually. That would have been a really good location for and they would have been really, really close to Cabo de Roca.
0: Yeah, it's got to have been no later than Cabo de Roca, because they surely would have had to drive themselves from wherever the fast-forward was all the way to Morocco still. Yeah, I don't know how they'd do it, actually, because they probably would have had to give them a car in Morocco as well, to get them to drive themselves to Fez.
1: It'd be like what they did with Derek and Drew in uh, Cancun.
0: Yeah, because they didn't bring the cars on the ferry. The cars stayed in Algeciras. They walked onto the ferry and off the ferry. So they would have had to still provide a car in Morocco, more than likely to say, now drive yourselves to Fez, and check in at the Borgneur, the pit stop for the leg of the Race.
2: What if the car company said, um, sorry, you're not having any more of our cars? Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is quite telling how the next time they go to Portugal, they do not self-drive and they do not use these cars in particular.
1: Hmm. Was season 23 the next Portugal visit?
0: Yeah. It's all within the Lisbon city limits, I think, in uh, in 23.
1: I think they did with Cintra 2 in 23, don't they? I thought they, had, I thought they used Cintra in 23. I know they're in the Belém area because I recognize all those spots.
0: <laughs> yeah, the pit stops in Sintra.
1: The Peña Castle?
0: Castello dos Moros.
1: Oh, probably the one, okay. That'd probably be the one we're a overlooking. Okay.
0: But everything else is within Lisbon city limits.
1: And John Vino and Jill get screwed over so they're on the same charter bus as Flo and Sack and Terry Dean, so those have been some interesting stories to swap on the bus, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: and it is Ken and Gerard who check in first and win the iconic prize of the season, because you know what is the best way for them to follow up winning two legs, one of which they won a cruise on Royal Caribbean's Voyager of the Seas? That is, of course, with the Kodak EasyShare digital camera each.
1: That I don't think anyone on this planet has used in about 15 years at least.
0: Do you think anyone from this season who won a Kodak EasyShare digital camera still has the Kodak EasyShare digital camera?
1: Maybe as a souvenir tucked away somewhere. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I would be very Maybe. very surprised if anyone still has their EasyShare digital camera. I think it's like 2 megapixels. It is very modern technology.
1: How, how many hmm. mega, megapixels does a phone have usually have now?
0: I was going to say my my phone camera is about 13, I think. Hmm.
1: Remember how big of a deal megapixels were around that time, too, in, like, 2000, 2001? Some of my family members are really into uh, digital cameras, like, oh, yeah, two megapixels, three megapixels. And now it's like, yeah, phone can have, like, phone phone was probably better than most professional cameras 20 years ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have just done a quick Google on the Kodak EasyShare digital camera. It's coming up with an Amazon listing. It's about £53, which is quite impressive. This is from 2001, And that's 5 megapixels with 32 megabyte onboard memory.
1: 32 Mm. meg? How many pictures can you take?
0: I think 32 meg is less than one picture from my digital camera takes.
1: That's like one, that's like two, that'd be like not that many screen caps.
0: (laughs) So my, looking at the photos I took in South Africa using my proper DSLR, uh, the first photo on there is 6.39 meg. So you'd be able to get four photos, five of those on the Kodak EasyShare digital camera. Wow! Plus external memory, obviously.
2: Hey, last episode was there a prize for first?
0: No, there was absolutely nothing between legs one and five. Ken and Gerard have won three legs and won both of the prizes so far.
2: Okay, I just thought maybe they didn't show it if they did have it because that you know
0: that it changed. Can you imagine if they announced to Heather and Eve that they were the first team to check in, and oh, by the way, you've won a holiday, and then had to snatch it back from Heather and Eve when they realised they got a penalty. Yeah. yeah. No soup for you. And Andre and Damon are second, with Derek and Drew in third, then equal fourth for John Victor and Jill and Flo and Zach. A rare tie. I mean, you don't get many of them. You're certainly not going to get one like one of the next season.
2: And it wasn't an exact tie because now they actually look at feet.
0: Yeah, it was blatantly Flo and Zach in fourth and John Peter and Jill in fifth. I was watching out for yeah. it. And then sixth is Terry and Ian, seventh is Aaron and Ariane, and officially last are Michael and Kathy, not that they're remotely asked about it.
1: They just casually walk on the map. They don't even have their bags, so I'm thinking production. Must have told them the second they got into Morocco, like, yeah, all the teams have checked in by the time they got into Tangier.
0: And they are, as a result, eliminated from the race.
1: And Kathy must now move to the west side, the best side. No more long distance for them.
0: To be fair, having been to San Diego, it is quite a nice place. I can see the appeal. So, have you got a eulogy for Michael and Kathy?
1: Yeah, I would say that, of course, as I've said before, Michael is a very underrated guy in confessionals and just with overall quotes and. More of a unique character in terms of not wanting to do anything scary. He can't swim, like for for a guy who is viewed as being strong and macho, he was viewed as chickening out of a lot of different things. But at least, hey, in the like that he gets eliminated, he did do something that scared him, and maybe in a different season, Michael and Kathy would have been a bit more competitive since they wouldn't have had to go through these constantly exhausting situations. It was also a bit different for them too, since they were a long distance dating couple. And clearly the fact that that because they get married after this race, that maybe that was a bit more at the forefront than doing well on the season. They were just more eager to spend time together. And it's like, okay, this is, this race is starting to just suck a bit too much and really exhausting to the point that we'd be happier at elimination station spending the next three weeks together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, they always they always found these odd ways to make up time on the other teams, not so much this episode, but other times where they you know they had two legs in a row where they were in a terrible taxi and they would make up a ton of time somehow or finish tasks behind everybody else but do really well in the self drive portion. So just a bit of an unorthodox team overall. I'm glad we at least got five episodes out of them. And I should note, Terry and it's funny, on the second bus, so John Vito and Jill and Flo and Sack tie, but nobody wanted to step on the same, on the mat at the same time as Terry and Ian, even though they're on the same yeah. bus. <laughs> like, nah, let's just leave them. Let's, let's let them be six. And, uh, well, of course, Ariane nearly passing out on the mat, finding out she's not last place. <laughs> and, oh, that's the big thing for this episode, where. Like this whole thing in Fez with the roadblock and then checking into the pit stop, it happens so close to the end of the episode. And I would say both tasks this episode were very, very easy, unless you're flow. But the detour and roadblock were both very quick tasks like, oh, just rappel down to the side of the cliff where everyone's going to be done. There's going to be very, very little variation in terms of time of completion for the task. And then the roadblock was also very, very quick. So it wasn't that big of an area to search through the vats. It it took more time for Damon to find the glove to dig through the vats. Yeah, I'm surprised Gerard didn't vomit in any of the vats since he was saying, oh, I think I'm going to be sick. So it just goes to show you that this was still the era where the actual transit between point A and point B was a lot more emphasized and the tasks were just this. More like a side attraction, I would say, where it's just a quick, oh, here's a task here, here's a task there. That's not really going to matter. What's going to matter is six and a half hours of driving to, to the ferry and then driving from the roadblock to the pit stop. Those are going to be the two things that will matter.
2: The task at the VATS didn't take as long as it has in subsequent seasons.
0: No, it's, it's actually an unspecified uh, switchback when that reappears in, uh, in Morocco in twenty five. They do actually do this challenge again, but they do not highlight it as a switchback, which is very interesting. So next time in Marrakesh, Flo and Ian fight, Aaron and Ariane get bogged down and there is a scramble to avoid going home. Have you guys got anything else you want to say?
2: Actually, I do. <gasps> um, <laughs> the blank pit stop mat. Yes. When did it change? And how many different mats have we had? That was my question.
0: Are you including international versions?
2: No, just American.
0: Because the international versions love to do the world map version but center it on their own country. I know. No, just, just US. Well it would have it would have been when they got rid of the the screen saying the country. So when was that Logan?
1: I'm trying to think of how long they kept the screen around.
0: I know they had a map version of the map by season eight because they amended it for season eight just to be the US. Or to be North America.
2: Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: Maybe after the first All Star. What in terms of the screen? Yeah.
2: I can't believe you guys don't know the answer. I come to you, n- knowing that I'll get an answer from you guys.
1: This is the first time I've watched an older season in like nine years.
2: Okay. All right. <laughs> Granted.
0: I'm sorry, Rochelle, It's like quarter to one.
2: <laughs> I'm just used to you guys knowing everything.
1: Maybe they, maybe after four they got rid of it when they had the big jump between four season four and season five. I'm trying to think; it would be somewhere where there was a definitive cut to the next cluster of the next era. So it's either after four or after eleven. I would say
0: season four definitely used it. Yeah, so it's after this season that they uh, that they introduced the world map version.
2: It actually looks smaller too. It looks it doesn't look as long rectangular.
0: I don't know whether it is. But yeah, after this season, they do end up um, apparently using the world map version.
1: Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And it has to be big enough to accommodate three teams to step on it at once somehow.
0: <laughs> the modern map that they haven't changed since season one is, of course, the finish line one, which is exactly the same one in every single season.
1: Wow. At least one tradition has stayed.
0: And I only know that because of how Brooke and Scott lost their shit when they found out that it was exactly the same map. They were like, we're in a place in history, that's so cool. So, thank you for listening to our amazing race recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number six. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogsubQhaki, Michelle is bear three, two, three, two, three, two, three, two, three. And I'm MJ Harmstone. Logan and I will be back on Wednesday for the first episode of VS to Mall Oregon. We will see you next week for episode six. But first We will all see you, that's the three of us and Anthony, for episode 400 on Friday. See you next week.
1: Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye.